right now, because I'm at a youth correctional facility, I'm called a facility youth worker. Okay. Yeah. When I was at the adult facility, you're called a corrections officer. Oh. How does the youth versus the adult center, how is that? Uh, there's a lot more interaction, a lot more physical rapport building between uh, the youth and us. There's a lot more case management. Uh, in an adult correctional facility, we have a bubble and you do, go out and you do your checks and there's less uh, interaction amongst the offender as and staff. It's more of a m- us versus them mentality as and compared to youth you're out in the yard playing hockey with the guys and it's quite a difference the environment is quite a bit different but the setup is also a lot different uh in the facility in which i work at we don't have any dorms so everyone has their own individual room and just the terminology so in an adult facility you would call it a cell whereas in a youth facility it's their room, right? So, yeah. Oh, so it sounds like it's more interpersonal there. Yes. What's your choice if you had to choose? I I moved, I started in youth. I moved over to adult based on there was no hours at the youth facility because the numbers were low. I really enjoyed the adult facility. I had a great group of people I worked with and I actually had no intention of moving back. And then I had a phone call from the old director saying, hey, he's got a position for me and uh said okay well I'll consider it and then uh it at the time uh it would have made things easier for my past relationship uh and so I really didn't want to move because I was so comfortable the people I really worked with I really enjoyed we're all like-minded people and but to be honest with you for a work-life balance the young offender facility is leaps and bounds ahead just shift pattern is better i work four on four off straight afternoons uh it's at adult i would either have to have worked seven on three off seven on four off or 12 hour shifts which is a hodgepodge of days and nights kind of thing so for me this just works so much better for my lifestyle yeah it lets you have a life outside of work yes and it also is consistent then yes yeah you said you enjoyed the time at the adult facility. What was so enjoyable about it? Uh, my partners, all the people that I worked with there are just like so like-minded. My last three years that I worked at the facility, I worked in a unit uh, that all we did was kind of, we responded to fights and assaults and things like that. So you kind of get like-minded people in that area. And it was just a good group of people. You know, your partners had your back and everyone was very supportive. There was lots of joking around and things like that. It was just a good group of males and females that I worked with. I really enjoyed all of them. So you built some solid relationships with your coworkers. Oh yeah. 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 Playing on like the adult facility has a lot more staff. So there's hockey teams. They have, uh, dodgeball groups they have golfing outings and it's just they have slow pitch teams there's lots more just based on the fact that there's 350 plus staff right so however you got to know a lot of the staff yeah 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 over the five years that I was there it was yeah it was great it was good experience and I I 
physically think that uh, every person should get a feel if they're in corrections, whether it be young offenders or adult, they should all have to kind of see both sides of the differing facilities and how the ins and outs, they're quite different. Uh, but it's good to see the other perspective for everyone that way. Yeah. What would you want somebody to see the difference in? Uh, just the interactions, the daily interactions are quite a bit different from adult to young offenders. Um, and the rapport building is different. So I might see in adult the same offender five or six times over maybe a two-year period. I, and, and that would just be basically whether it be working on the unit that they're on, the interactions are fairly minimal, whereas like at the youth center, the numbers are lower. You got a lot of a lot more one-on-one -on -one interaction, and uh, so you get a chance to really kind of build a little more rapport with them, and which really helps uh, in the event where major incidents are happening. That rapport goes a long ways. That dynamic security. Yeah, definitely, because you're both two humans hanging out now instead of, hey, I'm the guard, yeah. you are the prisoner. Yeah, yeah, it, it makes the world a difference. And you know what, and that's, I've always, whether I was at the adult facility or at the young offender facility, my sense of humor and my joking around, that never changed. And it kind of it went a long ways for me where, guys, as long as your approach is consistent, uh guys get a feel for how you operate, right? Whether it be in a young offender facility or an adult facility. And that's the biggest thing is the guys know what's predictable for them, right? You come in and you normally act this way. And those guys pick up on things if you're having a bad day or whatever, because they know what the norm is, right? So you're actually trying to give them predictability and consistency. Yes. Yeah. It, it works good for everyone, right? They, If you're consistent, they know what's tolerated, what's not tolerated. And also where the line is, like, especially for me, like I like, I love to joke around. I love to have fun. And if you're not, if it's not fun, then why are you doing it? So whether it be them telling me an offside joke or me telling them an offside joke, and it just, it makes the shift and the day go by way faster for them and for us, right? Like it's tough enough for anyone being inside a facility, whether you be an offender or a staff, it's not a great place for anyone, but it just, how do you make the best of the time while you're there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you kind of do it in a cool way where you're, you're joking, you're hanging out. And when you're talking about this, if nobody knew we're talking about a corrections facility, it would seem you work, oh, I, I just hang out with my buddies all day. That's, yeah, that, that's exactly it. And we like, we joke around quite a bit and that's what makes work so much fun right like it's you get to joke around uh, but it's such varying you can go from joking around to all of a sudden well now we've got a fight or somebody just assaulted a partner or whatever it might be things can change pretty quickly but it like that it's that time frame where you're joking around that makes things so much better yeah definitely that, there's good highs and some some pretty lows yeah with your the staff the co-workers you work with when an incident happens how would you get that interaction back with an offender that you've had to de-escalate a situation? I, my approach, like I say, the consistency is the key to everything, right? Incidents happen. Yeah, okay, they just assaulted you, but 
making them know that, okay, it's done, it's over with, and not holding that grudge and just being able, you have to be able to really have that thick skin to the next day you're going to be interacting with them. And maybe even two hours later, you might have to interact with them. So just knowing that, okay, that's part of the job, whether we like it or not. Like the, I think the statistic is within the first three years, uh, I think it's 70 or 80% of people within a, a correctional facility will be assaulted at least one time. So it's, it's something that people need to be aware of, but it's also you need to learn how to cope and find strategies, whether it be talking to counselors or whether it be figuring out healthy ways to decompress. How do you decompress after a, you call them major incidents? Yeah. Oh. Uh, my, my thing has always been exercise. That's always how I've been able to do it. And you got You just can't take things personal. Uh, that it's people find it hard not to take things personal and it's, just a day and at the end of the day hopefully we all get to go home and go to our families or our kids or friends or whatever it might be but it's just finding a way to figure out what it is that helps you cope whether it be going out for a walk going running lifting weights going talking to people I have like we have such we're like a family and and it is I actually my my kids asked me last week, well, why do you, why do you call so-and-so brother or whatever? And I said, I tried to explain to them when you've had to go into a major incident, you've done things that are more closer bonding than you would with some of your own family, first-hand family members, right? So they are, they're brother, sister, whatever it may be, because they've got your back just like you have their back, right? Yeah, it seems because they have your safety in mind as the same as yours. You are their lifeline. Yes. Yeah. And that builds a bond pretty quick. Very quick. Yeah. And you, you learn, okay, well, that person I can trust to have my back and other people, you got to have your, the hair on the back of your neck up a little more. Just, I, and, and it's nothing personal, right? Like people just operate differently. Yeah, some people will freeze. They yeah. never, you never know. You can't predict yeah. it. Yeah, I've I've seen that quite a few times, and but it's good. Lots of those people end up realizing pretty quickly after they froze and talked with other staff that maybe it's not the job for you, right? And doing it in a nice way to let them know, like, you know, it we got through it, but that could have been a lot worse based on the fact that you didn't weren't able to perform your duties, right? Oh, so you guys are still nice about it. For the most part. <laughs> so with the, I guess you can call them brothers and sisters, but it's pretty much a family there then. Oh, yes. Um, I actually ended up getting separated and it was really interesting to see. I sent out a message to a couple guys. Hey, who, who's going to come help me load up the truck for, of my stuff? Uh, and that night I had 15 co-workers show up we had pizza and beer and it took an hour and a half to load up all my stuff and it was just that support was just unbelievable short notice yeah and there 15 people showed up yeah yeah it was it really makes you realize and that's where like I always tell the new staff you know we might not get paid the most but what you're losing wage-wise you're gaining with 
the support network in which you have and all the people around you because all you got to do is send that message and people are rallying around you whether it be your kid gets sick and you need help financially okay well okay we call it the golden hat so the hat gets pushed passed around and people throwing money or whether it be having steak nights or GoFundMe pages or taking meals up to the hospital or whatever it may be it just it's never question it's just done that community is beautiful yeah yeah it's it really is it's something that like not many people get to experience that where you need help and you you don't even have to question it right like it's just there yeah these guys will lay down in traffic for you because yeah. you do the same yeah 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 man that's powerful yeah yeah it really is just like it makes you realize what you have, eh? Right? Yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah. So, how is it from day one to now? You're how many years are you in for? Fifteen so far. So you're fifteen years deep. How's that day one compared to fifteen in? Oh, you, your whole well, your personality changes based on what you've experienced. Uh, I know I've been told by my family personally, you know, your sense of humor is not really. It's a little bit twisted. It's not probably PC sense of humor. And so I I kind of monitor who who I joke around and how I joke around with certain people, right? It's all about knowing your audience. But I know my sense of humor has definitely changed. And just uh, my interactions, uh, I got quite a bit of PTSD when it comes to like crowds and things like that. So going to a grocery store, things like that, where I might get overwhelmed by... Just the sheer all of a sudden there's too many people around and you just don't like people behind you or things like that, right? So I know I've had a few times where you have to kind of take a deep breath and get away into the washroom just to kind of gather yourself, right? And then carry on, so. So you recenter yourself by removing yourself yeah. immediately. Yeah. And then what do you do when you're in that bathroom or in that isolated place? Just kind of calm down, get my wits about me, whether it be deep breathing or whatever it might be, right? It, everyone copes differently and then figure out, okay, well, I need this, this, and this yet. Okay, so let's just get it done and let's get out of here. Like the big events, like uh, the exhibition and things like that. I just know, like, I just, I can't take the crowds, so I just don't go, right? Well, you, it seems you really understand your triggers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you learn after so many years just what triggers you and what doesn't, right? So, yeah. Yeah. What is so enjoyable about hanging out with the offenders? For me, it's just now, especially working in young offenders, it's trying to break that cycle, right? Like in an adult facility, you might see the same offender for five years where they're sitting on remand and uh, waiting to go to, a, say, a federal penitentiary. Whereas the young offender, they're still still young, right? And they're impressionable. And it it's about trying to help and break that crisis cycle. And how, how do you, somebody who's third or fourth generation born into a gang or domestic abuse or mom drank or they seen dad beat up mom or like all that stuff. How do you break that cycle? Right. So it's, 
it's a lot more challenging and it's also a lot more rewarding that way where you might they might have that aha moment where oh yeah like I see my dad's been locked up for 15 years now because of a murder or whatever it might be uh, I see my uncles are all in the gang I've lost friends already to whether it be addictions overdose getting killed by rival gang members, whatever it might be. And just being able to try interact and say like, hey, let's take a deeper look into this. And and lots of times I think the stat is over 90% continue to reoffend. But if you can have that 1% or 2% that doesn't ever reoffend, well, at least you got 1% or 2%, right? Some's always better than none. Exactly. So with the youth facility you're actually trying to get at the cause not the symptom yeah you wear so many hats right like so they might be in crisis because they had a bad phone call because they found out uncle got picked up or mom's drunk again or dad same thing right and so you're counseling at one point or and trying to talk them through it and problem solving you might see them in crisis and but then you might go to out in the yard and playing hockey with them and chirping and having fun and just kind of like showing them that pro-social way of recreation in life, right? Like this is what's actually normal. We're out in the yard, we're playing hockey, we're chirping, we're bumping a little bit. But look, we can do that without getting into a fight. We Showing that positive role modeling, right? You, Go ahead, you can bump me, go ahead, but well, I'll get even, but we're we're gonna have fun about it and I'm not gonna get mad and you're not gonna get mad because that's part of the sport and everyone's having fun and yeah, it's it's good. Yeah. Oh, so you're actually teaching them a healthy way of being physical with others. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's awesome. It it really is. That's for me, that's the best part of the job. You can go I play quite a bit of volleyball with them and hockey and just I'll lead some workouts and stuff like that. And it, it is good. It's, it's good to show positive role modeling and like, you know, recreation, recreation, if that's a huge risk area for a lot of our youth is what do you do for your leisure time? And in giving that positive exposure will hopefully help them when they're bored. Okay. Well, I'll just go to the Y and go work out or whatever, as opposed to I'm going to go get drunk or I'm going to go get high or I'm going to pick up a weapon and I'm going to go with my gang buddies or whatever it might be, right? Yeah. So you're giving them a taste of something else, something yeah. hopefully better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the hope that the connection is made, right? Yeah. What cases have really surprised you? Uh, our, the demographic has changed uh, over 15 years now. Like the meth use is unbelievable. We used to really have a lot of big, tough, athletic kids that like to really fight and they could fight. And now a lot of our youth, because of the meth use, they don't have the motor skills. Uh, I, I would be pressed to be think that there would be more than a handful of youth that would give a person a really good fight just because they don't have the motor skills as well as the days are gone where a tough guy was, you fought, you fist fought. 
now they're stabbing people, they're jumping people three or four on one, or they're carrying weapons of all kinds, guns, you name it, right? They don't fight with their fists anymore. So they don't really know that. So um, incidents of fighting, they have decreased quite a bit um, based on the fact that they don't really know how to fight anymore. So, or so I, I, that's the way I feel. We used to have lots of guys fight toe to toe and some really good scraps and you still see it at an adult facility quite a bit. Like my last, my last two years we had on average anywhere from five to eight fights in an eight hour shift. But that's what happens when you have 550 adult males in a facility, right? That's built to house like 275 people. So, yeah, when That's... you're when you're in cramped spaces, rival gangs on same unit or just I don't like the fact that you did this or why are you you're in my space, right? People get on each other's nerves and I I could see it. Like I don't think I would enjoy that cramped quarters. Yeah. Well, who who would? Yeah. Yeah. With the you you've noticed that their coordination has decreased over the time. Yes. Yeah. Which has yeah. led to less fights. Yeah. But also the mental health aspect has increased. Like there's so many more, uh, like we're at such a risk right now. We're in a peak crisis where uh, drug-induced psychosis because of meth, because overdoses, because of fentanyl, and brain damage because Narcan's brought them back, but they've physically been dead for a while, right? And like the Narcan binds to the opioids, which then allows them to bring them back. And it, it really is, it's sad to see that the coping mechanisms and stuff like that just aren't there just because their brain is not fully developed and it's never going to based on the fact of the high drug use, right? Because it, it's hitting them at that stage in, stage in development. Yeah. Yeah. And this, what is, what's Narcan? Narcan is, uh, it's a thing that binds to the opioids. So if a guy, person uh, overdoses, it's a spray or you can, they inject it through the veins like nurses and stuff like that. But we, when we have a possible opioid overdose, we have a spray. Each unit has it and you spray X amount of pumps in their nose and it binds to the opioid and it actually will bring them back. Yeah. So that saves okay. them from the overdose. Yeah. Yeah. And it might take multiple doses, but it'll bring them back enough that fire or EMTs are able to get them safely to a hospital. Oh, it buys them a little bit more time. Yeah. Yeah. How many times have you had to administer Narcan? Uh, about a half a dozen. Okay. <laughs> How does it normally go? Uh, it's, it's kind of sad to see because like a lot of times they'll say, well, you're taking away my high, right? Even though you just saved their lives. That's a different, yeah, that, it's, that's a different planet. Yeah. All right. Hey, with the adult facility, you were saying five to eight fights in an eight hour shift. Yeah. With different people though yeah what's yeah. the protocol when a fight happens uh ra radio call and then so many staff or designated or responders like that unit that i worked on my last couple of years that's all we did was respond to that stuff and then each unit would have a designated responder to respond to whatever area it is in yeah
So you guys have a protocol and it actually, actually a specific unit. It's not just everybody yeah. that does it. No. Yeah. What's it take to get into that unit? Uh, not much actually. It's, which is interesting. It, it, you just kind of got to be identified that you're willing to do it. Not, not everyone, like people, lots of people just like working on the units and cause that place is quite busy. You're doing all the court people in the morning you're, and when they return from court. And then you're also responding to fights or a staff assault on different units and things like that. So it is quite busy. It's what I like, though. The day goes by so fast. Because you're breaking up five yeah. fights. Yeah. What happens? So you've broken up the fight. Now what do you do as a unit right after? Oh, unit would be shut down. That unit. And then uh, you'd move move one of them generally off based on what information, like you're going to run your investigation. Generally that unit staff would have lots of information as to why things kind of happened. And then they supervisors would make that call as to, okay, that guy's going to go there or that guy's going to go there. Oh, for the, the offender will go somewhere else. Yeah. And then what do you do as staff? Cause you've just broken up a fight. What do you guys do now? Decompress, uh, write your incident report and, Carry on with the day. <laughs> Get ready for the next one. Yeah. What reason for a fight caught you off guard? Uh, one of my first ones responding in at the adult center was like a 12 on 12 fight between two rival gangs out in the yard. That was kind of for me, that was my, wow, this is what adults like, okay? And it was, yeah, it was... It was chaos. Yeah, it was guys had lots of weapons out in the yard and shivs and all kinds of things. And yeah, that was that one was my first real uh, welcome to an adult correctional facility responding to that. And then guys not wanting to lay down or follow direction. And yeah, it was it was eye opening. That's for sure. Your first one, you were pretty much thrown in the deep end at yeah. zero degrees yeah. in, in a freaking sea storm. Yeah. But you know what? That helped me because I came from a young offender facility. So everyone kind of tell you've proved yourself in an adult facility. Uh, everyone's kind of a little more standoff. So it was really good because then people seeing, okay, well, he's not, as we would call it, he's not a plug. So... <laughs> He's okay. He'll respond. He's he, he's helpful kind of thing. And so it, it really helped me build some friendships really quickly. Luckily. Yeah. You uh, responded correctly. Yeah. Or you had everybody's back. Yeah. So a person who wouldn't, that you would call them a plug. Yeah. <laughs> Where's that come from? Uh, just, you, you know, specific people aren't, they don't generally respond and things like that. So, or just... They just don't do their job. But it, that's more of an adult thing because the facility is so big, right? Whereas young offenders, pretty much everyone kind of has to do their job or else it's such a smaller facility. So less, which, room, less room for error. Yeah, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. So you call people who don't go in plugs. What do you call the people that do go in? Uh, just brothers and sisters, right? <laughs> that makes way more sense. <laughs> And everyone has their reasons, so right? Like, over the years, I've been able to see, like, well, they've been in corrections, say, for 20 years. They've also f 
done they're responding to and maybe they're burnt out or maybe they've got unaddressed PTSD right like in this day and age it's hard because there is the big push for getting help but back then it was you man up and you just get through it right and so you see people who do have such bad PTSD that they're not responding just because they just mentally can't right and you can't blame them but at the same time it's we just need to address it and get those people help it seems you approach those situations without not with anger but with understanding sometimes sometimes depending on what happens because if a coworker gets hurt based on the fact that somebody didn't respond then i get frustrated and i get angry and because we're all paid the same we're all paid to do the same job and if you can't do that job then why are you here kind of thing because you're putting everyone else at risk it it's such a high risk job right yeah when there's actual real skin in the game yeah what don't they tell you that's in in the textbook uh that yeah you, you really you're going to see things that normal people don't see you're going to have to do things that normal people don't do and they try prepare you for it but until you go through that a few times and how just you learn how desensitized you become to things right whether it be seeing a mental health offender smash their head against the wall for the first time and you're like holy cow like that is just terrible and now i see somebody smash their head against the wall and it's like okay is everyone else safe around here i'm going to make sure my coworkers are safe and we're going to wait it out because I'm not going to intervene based on the fact that they're alive and they're they're good. They're just going through a mental health crisis, but that's not crisis cycle shows that's not the time to intervene either, right? Mm, when is the time to intervene? Well, you either got to catch it on the way up or once they're in that full-on crisis, you got to wait till they're on their way back down and whether it be they end up falling down because They've hit their head so many times or where you can maybe just get a split second where they stop and just briefly engage with you. And then it's like, okay, let's talk or whatever. Yeah. You got to find a little, little bit in yeah. the red zone. Yeah. Bit. You got to find that, just that little piece of hope in there. And it's like, okay, there it is. That's, that's the time. Now we can maybe go in and we might have to restrain the offender just for their safety. Right. What what offender has surprised you the most? Mm, I don't know if there's been one. Uh, probably the worst one for me was responding to an attempted suicide and just seeing somebody so low that when we cut them down, they're fighting with us and they're saying, well, you should have just let me die. Well, to see somebody at their lowest, that for me was kind of like, I've cut guys down who have been physically dead. I've responded to overdoses where they've been dead uh things like that but when you cut somebody down who's in that height of the crisis and they're saying you should have just let me die that that for me was kind of the most out of all of them so you actually see the people at rock bottom yeah how does that weigh on you uh you learn to cope over years but like i say you know the ptsd adds up and 
you you just kind of become so desensitized to it, right? And uh, like I actually had about four years ago where we had uh, <laughs> a fight on the unit at the young offender facility and I had one of the supervisors ask me, so like, what's your heart rate at now? And I was like, uh, I left it 62 or 63. And she's like, you know, that's not normal. I'm like, yeah, it is for me. I'm not, it doesn't, it didn't really bother me, but it makes you realize that, yeah, you're pretty desensitized. Like you just went in and broke up a fight and your adrenaline didn't really even get that going very high because like four minutes later, your heart rate's down to 60 some, right? Your brain doesn't even alert anymore. Yeah, yeah. So what alerts you now? Uh, more stuff now, it's more stuff around my kids actually, just out and about in the community. That's where I find myself, I get, just because you're, you're a dad, I'm a dad, you know, you want your kids to be safe and what's best for them. So that stuff for me gets me, my adrenaline going a lot more than... At work, it's work. Uh, we'll get through it and just carry on. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense when you're seeing your kid almost in danger. Yeah. Yeah, you want to go. Yeah. yeah. How's the work that you've done transition over to your day-to-day life? Um, well, like it affects you. Uh, an interesting statistic for corrections is I think they say 65% of us uh, will at least have uh, one divorce throughout their career and I'm on, I've done my first divorce. And so, uh, and we kind of joke about it because it, that's the way shift work and you're with people more than you are with your family lots of times. And, uh, you see so many marriages that are broken up, whether it be people who end up, well, I see you more than I see my own family and they start having relationships or whatever it might be. Um, it, that's for me, like it just, that's the biggest thing for me is to have that. And we joke around, we had a coworker who uh, just got married in the unit that I worked on. There was uh, out of the five male staff, Four of us had been divorced, so we sent him uh, congratulations on his wedding. I hope uh, hope your marriage goes as well as ours did. And he thought it was funny, and we thought it was funny. I, I don't think his his now wife thought it was as funny because she knows all of us. And, but yeah. it's that twisted sense of humor, right? It's yeah. That's how you cope with your friends, though. Yeah. You bring it out to the light and be yeah. vulnerable. Yeah. So you don't mind being vulnerable with your coworkers? No, no, no. We, we've all, like I say, we're like a family. We've seen and done things that most people ha- shouldn't have to do. So that intimacy is, yeah, there, you're not, everyone knows everything. So whether it be like, if two people are dating, oh, the whole facility knows. And then it's not a secret or, oh, so-and-so went out to the staff get-together and got really drunk. Well, everyone knows. It spreads quickly. Yeah, oh, yeah. Including, do the offenders know too then? We try not to, but everyone listens, right? Like, people talk whether they should or not on a unit, and then the offenders figure things out pretty quickly. It's it, it And it's funny because then 
they get involved in some of the chirping too, which I I don't mind personally because I chirp. That's 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 what I do, and so then, but that's that's my nature, right? Like I don't get offended by it either. Yeah, so. it rolls off. Hey? Yeah, yeah. It seems humor is used a lot in the facility. Then. Oh yeah. Well, and and everyone's got different approaches, right? Like what I find humorous, I know quite a few other coworkers don't find so humorous. So it's all about knowing your audience and who you're working with, as well as uh, the people in which you're working with. Like some of the youth that I work with, there's certain ones that you just can't joke around with because they don't understand that joking around or where the line is, right? Where you might joke around with them and then they take things too far and you're like, okay, like we can't joke around because what you're saying what I was saying is this, and it was just a friendly banter. And what you said was like, you're going for the jugular kind of thing. You're, you're trying to make sure that I know this. And it's like, okay, well, I just won't joke with you. Right. And, and there's certain people and that's everyone, right. In society, there's certain people you're going to joke around with more. Or you interact one way with somebody and you might interact one way with somebody else based on their learned personality with you. Right. Yeah, you don't mind this little bit of uncomfortable confrontation. No, not at all. But that shows a lot of love, though, for the the young offenders. Well, yeah, like, the goal is that they would age out or get out of, leave our facility and just never go to a correctional facility. But the realization is lots of that doesn't. It doesn't happen like that. The rate of recidivism is like 90%. So, but it's to let them know. And I know I've personally had about a half a dozen calls where they'll call from an adult center and say, Hey, can I talk to Jeff? And they'll, so they'll use one of their calls to physically call and say, Hey, remember when you said this? Well, yeah, I remember that. And thanks or whatever it might be. Right. Or, you know, when I was going through this and you sat there, I want to th- say thanks. Or whether it be a letter I've had, uh, actually, I have a really nice picture of uh, one of the youth I used to work with. Uh, they drew me a picture and because she would always put her hand down and say, gotcha, if you got caught looking, hey. And so that was, that, was, that was, yeah, that was kind of our little joke. And so... Uh, before she left, she painted a picture and it's got like that, the circle, the circle and on the bottom it says, gotcha. <laughs> uh, so I have it right over top of my fireplace. I'm like, that's awesome. Like it's something like that, that you, you feel rewarded for what you did because you built a, an, a real relationship and they felt that too, where they felt comfortable interacting with you on a different level, not just a staff versus youth level, right? You actually are collaborating with them and showing them there's a better way. Yeah, that, and that's the hope, right? What techniques have you found work? For me, it's always just been the humor. Uh, and certain youth, I just know that I can't interact with just because our personalities are different, right? And, and I know my boundaries and there's certain youth I can and certain youth I can't. And that's why having so many different personalities within a facility, you have to, even though staff sometimes don't get along, but having those multiple different people with multiple different personalities, we need that because 
that's what we you have for youth, right? Yeah. So, so you really qualify who you interact with. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. There's there's a group that we hang out quite frequently. Like Friday, I got a group of guys. We're going to the virtual golf together. And this, we go quite frequently and we'll go and we'll visit. Someone will have a uh, beer or whatever. And some of us, we just, we don't drink very much. So we'll, we'll have a water or a carbonated drink with them and we'll BS and have a good time. And it's just, yeah, it's just hanging out with the guys, right? With the young offenders? No, just with, with, with oh, staff. Oh, coworkers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, the youth though, like, well, we try to, if things are going well, we try to once a month, like a special meal type thing where they're included in it and it's, there's funding for it, but like if they're acting right, like brainstorming, okay, what, what would you like to try? And whether it might be taco in a bag or uh, roast beef with mashed potatoes or homemade sausage with progies or things like that, like special meals that aren't normal everyday meals that they may have never ever had in their life right like they might not have ever had Chinese food they might not have ever had Vietnamese food Thai food or just like a good burger like a good homemade burger like parents would make right and just that homemade meal and and it's awesome to see and 95% of them are very thankful for it. And then there's the other 5% that are like, Oh, is that it? And it's, you just, you gotta, just gotta brush it off your shoulder and be like, well, these guys, they're very thankful for it. And that's why we do it. Right. Yeah. The ones that hit. Yeah. And it, and it also, that's another rapport building. Right. So we're sitting around and we're eating with everyone. We're all hanging out, joking around and yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So you'll make, who makes the meal? We do with them. So like, but every, like we wouldn't know utensils or anything. So it might be they we get, grab some pre-made, pre-made salads. And so they're mixing it up in a bowl or getting all the, uh, what it, condiments ready or the buns ripping them open or things like that. Right. Or, so, or helping out with, uh, just bringing say cook progies from the kitchen to the unit and things like that. Yeah. Nice. So they're actually part of the meal. Time. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole goal, right? It's a life skill. Many of them have never cooked in their life or, or even planned a meal. Right. And so how do we go about it? Okay. So here's what we have for money and how do we budget for this? What, how much would we actually, how many smokies would we be able to buy? How many buns? Here's what the buns price are progies now are we going to get bacon real bacon bits or are we going to get simulated bacon bits or whatever it might be and it, and it's a life skill right so how do how do we balance that and it would be like how do we balance our bank account you got rent coming out right and so it teaches them a good life skill you're teaching the young offenders all these great skills yeah and like we have a school within the facility which goes year round which is awesome but it's just it's more applicable, right? A lot of times schools are teaching math because like calculus or whatever it might be, but how do you put that into everyday life, right? And so, okay, well, here's here's the flyers. Where are we gonna go shopping for your unit meal, right? Like, and here's how much we have to spend. So how do you go about that, right? 
You're teaching them how to flyer shop and everything? Well, yeah, yeah. Because it it's that's everyday life, especially right now where our we're in an economic crisis, right? Like people are strapped for cash and uh, how do you go about living and still being able to eat healthy and and also showing them that you can still eat healthy. You can buy if you go to Fresh Co or wherever it might be, you can buy a bundle of bananas for 79 cents a pound or or a five pound bag of apples for 5.99 here, but maybe at that store it's 8.99. So just making them aware that you kind of got to look and shop around because you can save a lot of money. Yeah, you're teaching them that and then what's a meal they generally always come back to? You know, that's yeah, I don't it's any kind meat, right? Especially like within the ex, with the exception of like since October was my first exposure to ever working with female youth or or even female adults. I've never worked with female adults. So it was a learning curve for me. So but what I've mostly worked with is males and males it's meat, right? Like let's get meat, whether it be burgers or hot dogs or anything that we can get for meat. That's always the go-to. Taco in a bag is always big. So it's, and it's literally ground beef and they, you grab like taco chips and, or Dorito chips. And then you put them in the bag and you put some salsa in there and you put some cheese and let it melt together. And that's always a hit. So, so that's, that's usually a good staple there yeah. is taco in a bag. Yeah. That's nice. And then guys can put, put it how spicy they want it. Like maybe they have extra spicy Doritos or whatever it might be. And then, oh man, then, then it comes down to the challenge. Hey, can you eat this one? And it's such good rapport building and good laughs. The unit meal days are awesome. Like the kids love it and we love it because it, it is, it's, there's lots of good laughs had, lots of good memories built for them, right? Yeah. And for us, right? Definitely. Well, you seem to have left an impression with most of them considering they're calling you. Yeah, some of them do. And it's and it's good, though. That, and that's the way it should be. Like, if they're in crisis, they should know that you can always call them. There's always a staff to talk to. And whether it be me or if I'm not there, one of my other coworkers that have interacted with them in the past or even if a staff doesn't even know who they are that's kind of the young offender mentality with the staff or we'll keep you on the line let's get you talking let's try to get you into that safe place right yeah when you say in crisis i thought you meant in a crisis place so you're uh, it's a facility called crisis or no just out in the community so they might be out in the community and they might say hey i just I've been up for three days. I've been using X amount of points of meth and I just don't know how to get out of it. I haven't slept and I'm seeing things and where do I go? And so it's awesome for them to be able to identify that they can call. It's non-judgmental. Okay, where can we get you help? Well, have you, where have you been sleeping? Have you made contact with say your grandma or grandpa who was we know or remember to be pro-social and well, yeah, they kicked me out. Okay. Well, can you go back there and explain or can you go to RUH and check yourself in or whether it be one of our addictions places like the Calder center or whatever, can you go there and say, Hey, I need detox or things like that. And just try to help talk them through. That's pretty big that 
they decide they've realized it and now they're trying to get help. Yeah. So of the young offenders, which one has made the biggest turnaround? Uh, I don't know over the years. There's been lots that just that I know that whether they have committed a crime, whether it be murder or whatever, I, I know a few that have never reoffended after the fact, after committing a fairly serious crime and they were able to identify that, okay, well, maybe the gang was using me or I was drunk or I was high and I just, I can't be doing drugs because that's what happens or my addictions took over or whatever it might be, right? I've seen that a few times where they realize, okay, well, I don't, I don't want to be locked up for the rest of my life. And whether it be just that, I just don't want to spend any more time in jail. So I'm just not going to do any of that stuff anymore. And if that's all it takes, okay, good. Right. So they took a look in the mirror and decided, Hey, I'm going to change. Yeah. Yeah. What's something you found in common with the ones that change? Just that openness and the open dialogue, right? Where they're willing to talk about, well, yeah, I screwed up here. This is what I did. And not glorify it though right like i did this it's kind of shitty and not be like yeah i did that because who cares that guy was a another rival gang or that guy was selling drugs or whatever it might be right and just that openness to have that open dialogue and realize yeah what i did probably it affected people so Whether, they're actually yeah they're actually taking responsibility yeah and those are the ones you see have most success. Yeah. What happens if it's on the other end of the spectrum? Then they graduate to the adult center. Generally? Yeah. Yeah. Like like I said, I think it's like 85 or 90% of the time. If they haven't had that moment, then they'll graduate and at least attend an adult facility at least one time in their adult life from 18 on. Because the stat's 90%. Yeah. And it might take only one time sometimes for them to realize, because an adult facility is a lot different than a young offender facility. It, the interactions are different. The sheer numbers are different. And they might be living in a dorm with 35 to 40 other people, right? So whereas you have your own individual room at a young offender facility, but now all of a sudden you got to share a space with 40 other Adult males, right? 40? Yeah. Could be. So it's one it's one room for yeah. 35 to 40 people. Yeah. And that's that you call that a dorm. Yeah. And they eat, sleep, or they sleep yeah. there. Eat and sleep and yeah. Yeah. So they would have like a kind of like a little kitchen area and then they would have their sleeping area. Yeah. Oh, so it's pretty much a bachelor suite, but with 40 people in it. Yeah. Yeah. 40, 40 guys sharing the same bathroom and showers and yeah. It's surprising that there's only five to eight fights yeah. in an eight-hour shift then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, th there's, it's not shocking that that's why things go on, right? Yeah. If you had your perfect scenario, what would you change about the adult facility? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know what, what the fix could be. I, I really don't. I don't have a clue. Yeah, it's too big right now. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. What about the young offenders? I don't know. Uh, the programming has come a long way, so it's it's good that way. Um, 
more individualized specialized programming is always nice as but the biggest thing is can we connect them to whatever help they need so that when they're out in the community they can be successful whether it be mental health counseling psychiatry addictions a safe place to stay right having being able to 100% of the time connect that youth to all those things in which they need would really help but lots of times finding a safe place to stay group homes don't want to take a youth who's been in a facility uh they don't want to see a counselor because they're still in that pre-contemplative stage where I don't need to. They're thinking, I don't need to do this. And it's too bad. You can't force somebody to do that. So, uh, and just be for them, you know, like as a youth, being able to identify, well, I do have an addictions problem or whatever it might be. Sometimes you, they just don't make that connection in their time that they're there. Oh, so you're trying to hit their hierarchy of needs as yeah. well as get them yeah. to except they have a problem. Yeah. So you see that that stat, is that a regular stat then that it's still 90% when you're interacting with them? So one-on-one, uh, I don't know if it's decreased over the years, but I, the stats still fairly like it's quite, it's been quite consistent, but there is certain programs that they have seen the statistics that it really helps with reducing the rate of recidivism. And it's, it's about meeting the need of the youth and uh and their crime right so their for their crime does it meet all the criterias do they need mental health well were they in a psychosis state when they got picked up or were they on meth or were they part of a gang do they need to see a group called straight up for hopefully get them out of the gang life things like that like what but you have to balance that because if you have somebody who's never been in custody and they pick up a theft charge, well, now you throw all this stuff at them. It's a waste kind of of resources. So it's trying to find that balance where maybe they only just need a safe place to stay because they stole something to meet that need, right? Give them that minimum effective yeah. dose. Yeah. Yeah. What programs do you see have the most success? I don't know. I, I, I don't know the actual statistics, but I just know that the rapport building and pro-social role modeling, right, is for me, that's what I believe, like positive role modeling yeah. is so, some of these guys may have never seen that positive role modeling in a healthy way, right? They might see dad's part of the gang, their uncles are all part of the gang, or dad was never in the picture, or mom drank, or whatever it might be, or mom's boyfriend beat her up, or whatever it might be, they've never seen that pro-social, healthy relationship, right? Yeah, so they haven't actually got a taste of what it could be. Yeah. So yeah. it's actually not a program at all, it's uh, just the interaction, treating them well, yeah. and showing them that different way. Yeah. I, the environmental factors, right? Yeah, nice. Yeah. Well, should we call it, man? Yeah, sure.